Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined by Maggie Palmer. Hello, Maggie. Hey, Sarah. How are things in Ohio? They're good. It's the end of summer. School has started. School has started, and you are filling a role that's um, kind of teachery. You are coaching cross country. I am. I know. Yeah. What the heck? So, and and uh, it's your is it your it's your older son, right? It's my oldest son, Dylan. He's in sixth grade. And um, yeah, the the church we belong to decided to start up a team. Oh. And, you know, I don't know. It was one of those moments where they sent out the email. And as much as I say, like, don't volunteer for anything else. I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> Turn it. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> I know. They're like, well, we just can't have a season unless we have parent support. And I was like, oh, geez. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, so has uh, so training started. And when's the first meet? This weekend. And um, my older brother, he's amazing. He's a former marathoner and he um, has been coaching for a very long time. And his, his girls, um, high school girls go to state. He coaches cross country and track. So he gave me a list of workouts and I came in like, Oh, fantastic. And it's third through eighth graders. So basically it's me just like telling them to keep going. <laughs> keep moving and it, your feet. <laughs> and it's co-ed. It's co-ed. Yeah. It's grades three through eight. So yeah, there's just, there's a lot happening. It's a lot more tying shoes and um, <laughs> <laughs> encouraging them to keep moving than, uh-huh. than any kind of strategy, but I don't uh-huh. know, maybe we'll get to that later in the season. And are you the sole adult out there? No, thank goodness. There's a head coach and then okay. myself and another woman are the assistant coaches. So we do a lot of bug spray, band-aids. <laughs> we do that kind of stuff. I try to teach them stuff, you know, but I get a lot of eye rolls. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you, so you're both mother and runner at the, in this role. I am the mother runner. Yeah. And apparently, <laughs> according to my son, I'm kind of the not the mean coach, but apparently, (laughs) you know, everything kind of fell apart the other day when I wasn't there. And I said, well, Mm -hmm. see, because (laughs) I I have people do jumping jacks and Uh they're Uh chit chatty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're focused. You're the focus coach. I am. (laughs) I'm not the nice bandaid coach. I'm like, (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I, um, spent some, uh, quality, extra quality time with my younger daughter. Um, we went, uh, so school for Portland starts on Wednesday, the 28th. So, um, I took my younger daughter, Daphne, who is entering high school next week and three of her gal pals. And then two of my former rowing buddies from San Francisco, they're still my friends. They were just, we used to be rowing teammates. We, they came up from San Francisco and then we all road trip to Ashland, Oregon, which is a, as you know, Maggie, a beautiful town in Southern Oregon, Mm -hmm. right uh, about five miles North of the California border. And it is home to the Oregon Shakespeare festival, which is world renowned. And, but they also, they don't just do Shakespeare. I used to think for the longest time, they only did Shakespeare mm-hmm. and, um, okay. I was an English major, but I'm not much for the, for the Will's writing. Um, <laughs> I know it's heresy, How isn't it? How dare you? <laughs> How darest thou? <laughs> um, so the, um, Daphne and two of her friends that I took had been to Ashland for a school field trip in April and they came back 
just so over the moon. They'd seen, I don't know, four or five plays in the course of two days, I think they were down there and they got to go backstage and all this stuff. And so the one play that they came back and were just like, we need to see it again. We need to see it again. It's a show called Cambodian Rock Band. And so she just said several times, oh, mom, I'm not sure you'll like it. And I'm like, okay. And so, but I got tickets to it. And so we saw matinee on Sunday and it was fantastic. And it only has, it has a cast of six and it is set in Cambodia and it's uh, kind of toggles between two time periods, the um, mid to late 1970s under uh, Pol Pot and then, and, and um, how kind of the rock scene, I guess there was a huge um, rock scene that was kind of Western style, kind of psychedelic somewhat. And then uh, the modern day portion of it is in 2008 and so it was, oh my gosh, it was just really great. The actors were very talented. They acted, they did some dancing, they played um, in the band. So they played instruments, they sang. It was just, um, it was very moving. And so um, we were, it's a, it's not quite theater in the round, but it didn't have all that many um, aisles. And so our seats, the girls were pretty much the furthest they could be in the theater away from any exit and at the after we you know clapped at the end of it then the the band was like do you want to hear more and people were like yeah and they were like if you want to dance come down the girls were like shot out of a cannon and they had to like go excuse themselves and go past like the knees of 30 people to get down there and they were just dancing and one of the girls one of the drummer gave her one of his drumsticks one of the guys gave her one of their shirts because this is actually a real band in real life it's called the um cyclos i think and uh so oh my gosh they were just dancing having such a good time and it was it was fantastic so it was really a fun uh late summer hurrah before school starts what a cool experience for them and it's so neat at that age you know they're being exposed to so much so much of the arts and culture and and that they're really excited to go I, well, and then, then as I'm watching, I mean, I was fascinated. It had history. It had music. It had, you know, cute guys. Like, it had, it, it was the whole package. It was topless. So, <laughs> yeah, right. So, so. Uh, amazing. So, oh, my God. Oh, it's more this one actor. So he was wearing these fitted kind of um, 1970s bell bottoms. And my friends and I afterwards all were like, oh, yeah, his pants were so good. <laughs> and then we were like, we're like, and particularly those ones at the end with a. <laughs> Like, so oh, <laughs> we were away from the girls at this point because we were away from them because uh after the girls had connected with one of the actors on a on instagram in one of her stories she had tagged them and because she had a countdown to cambodian rock band and so you know this is not a huge show so they were really excited about that so they told um the gals they said oh you know meet us in the lobby afterwards so they got one-on-one time with the cast afterward and, of course, got pictures and, um, you know, they were, and, and they're theater geek kids. So there was um, very much, it wasn't just adoration. It was, you know, an appreciation of their art and what it is they do as a craft. So it was, it was really great to see. Oh, that's so cool. What a great time. Yeah. 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 So, um, and Alex had a fun weekend because of it. Uh, <laughs> Alex, the podcast producer, because uh, my uh, so Phoebe, my um, almost eighteen year old, stayed at home, but she was working part of the time. And uh, but then my husband Jack and my son John were in 
uh, Chicago and Springfield, Illinois for a family reunion. So what to do with Augie the French Bulldog? So, so Alex... <laughs> Enter Alex, up. stage right. Yes. yes. And, uh, so he took Augie and, oh my gosh, he took him... Um, disc golfing and just they it was it was like augie's big adventure Aww, got married <laughs> they played yeah. tennis that's right you went directly to play tennis yeah, over it yeah yeah so he just the ball for a while mm-hmm. yeah he bats the ball around he can't really fit a tennis ball in his mouth totally so. <laughs> but it was it was very dear and he shared some pictures with me and i was the proud mama um so so all right well we have um a slightly bit of a different show today it is running related most definitely most definitely but with a bigger pop culture spin than usual we are delighted to welcome Brittany o'neill the real woman whose story is told on the big screen in the just released today if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out just today Brittany runs a marathon hits theaters it's a can't miss conversation stay with us Brittany, welcome to the show we're glad you could join us Glad to be here. So, all right, for starters, we know you're the mother of a fur baby. Tell us about your dog. Uh, Her name is Julep. She's an Australian cattle dog mutt mix. Uh, We rescued her. uh, I think she was from Kentucky, so we wanted to honor her heritage. (laughs) Um, And she has a lot of energy and loves to eat anything made out of paper. Nice, nice. (laughs) We are so thrilled that droves of mother runners got to see free screenings of the movie in the last week or so. But since the movie is just opening today, let's assume very few listeners have had the pleasure of watching it yet. So can you please fill folks in on how you became a runner? Yeah, um, so I wasn't very athletic at all growing up. I didn't play any sports. Um, I was never very coordinated. So when I wanted to to start getting a little healthier, Running honestly seemed like one of the only options because I, you know, I didn't really have a vocabulary of physical activity yet. Um, And I had um, in high school, my family had bought a treadmill at a garage sale for some reason. None of us had plans to use it. Um, (laughs) So I had like run a very little. um, And then it just seemed like a free and easy way to start um, getting a little healthier Uh, And it was sort of at a time in my life when I wanted to change a lot. And I thought that, um, you know, sort of working outside in and changing my body was the solution I was looking for. And it turned out that it led to, you know, a lot of other self-discovery and and my relationship with my self-worth and and body image and, you know, how all that can get tied up in in one another. Um, And so I started, actually started um, at a local gym indoors on a treadmill because I was too embarrassed to run outside. I just felt Hmm. like really out of place. You know, I was wearing like old Aeropostale shorts (laughs) and like, (laughs) like I didn't have the right gear. I didn't feel like I had the right body. I felt like I had no business being a runner. Um, And so, and you know, I was living on the um, Upper West Side because I was going to school at Columbia. And so running out in Central Park is sort of intimidating as far as like the New York runner scene goes. Um, so indoors felt like the safest way to start. Mm-hmm. So then the movie does such a great job of illustrating those sometimes daunting, sometimes painful first steps of running, which um, 
maybe a spoiler alert, you know, in the movie they showed them as being outside. So, but it sounds like you started indoors. So there was no, there were no blocks to run, just, um, you know, uh, endless tread. So what, yeah. So, so what advice do you give for non-runners who are afraid to try it out or for veteran runners who are sidelined by an injury or maybe a little motivation to keep going? Oh my God. Yeah, totally. First of all, for beginner runners, no one is looking at you. Nobody cares. (laughs) Go. Um, And uh, the other thing I think that was most important for me to learn is that nothing, you know, uh, failing and having setbacks doesn't mean that you're not doing the right things. Those are all on the path to achieving whatever the goal might be, Um, Mm -hmm. especially for me starting running. I know that uh, over the years, and I still continue to learn so much, but I learned a lot about my body, my form, my nutrition. how best to fuel, how best to, you know, time things out. Um, and I, I continue to, you know, get better at choosing the right gear, um, all of that. And I think that it's a little cliche, but there's no right or wrong way to get started. Everyone has different priorities. Um, for me, it was learning that injury prevention is the most important priority for me. I'm incredibly injury prone, even mm-hmm. As we sit here, I'm, I've actually been unable to run for the past few weeks because I have uh, multiple forms of tendonitis, uh, one of which is extremely exacerbated right now, um, mm. which is kind of a bummer when I'm promoting a movie about right, running. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and the journey I've gone on with it. But, um, uh, you know, my, so every decision that I made, whether it was about the gear that I was using, the nutrition I was, I was um, using, you know, how hard I was training, what I was doing to train, all of that was prioritized by not getting injured. Whereas for someone else, if their goal is losing weight or getting faster or just going longer distances, obviously those choices are always going to be different. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. 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 It's interesting. You talk about, um, there's no right way or wrong way to get started, but definitely like you were saying, you, you figure things out as you go. I mean, my first half marathon, I didn't even stop for the water. I didn't have any goo. Um, you know, so you totally learn that as you go, which is, it's really exciting though, as you learn, as you go, and then you can kind of share those stories with other runners like you did in the movie. Yeah, totally. And running friends help too. I actually joined a local runners group. Once I started going on runs that were more than like two hours, I was like, this is too boring. Like (laughs) I, it's always been my like me time and I like to listen to music and you know, it's my time to get my thoughts straight. But then once you're having to go for three or four hours, it's, it's tough. So finding, you know, finding a runner's group or running friends or, or something is always really helpful to sort of keep things fresh. And then of course, all you talk about is running and what you're, <laughs> what you're training with and what method you're using. And so it's another great way to learn. Yeah. yeah I lo- you know, you're on a Facebook page called another mother runner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved in the, in the movie, how uh, it showed a, that glimpse of you being social and just wanting to talk about running and, and that your friends really, your non-running friends really are like their eyes roll up in their heads when you start doing it. And it's like, oh yeah, we've all been there. We've all you know, <laughs> had the friends who don't want to hear about it. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, but um, I know a bit from reading about the background that the, um, speaking of friends, that the movie's director is your best friend from college. Yes. And that even before you ran the marathon, he told you that making, he was going to make a movie about your transformation. So, yeah. yeah so got to ask, how did that feel? You know, did it put kind of extra pressure on you? And, um, and also then how does it feel now that the movie is out? Yeah, it was crazy. It was like eight years ago now. Um, 
and he had been, we were roommates at the time. Um, we were both working from home. So there was a lot of time for us to, you know, talk, have very reflective discussions yeah. about what is life? What is happiness? What do we want? Um, <laughs> and so uh, at the time, I think I had lost like 50 or 60 pounds by that point, And I was training and I'd already decided I wanted to run the marathon. And he had, was two months into writing the script when he told me um, mm-hmm. that he was writing a movie about me. And of course, like my immediate, re- when he said that it's called Britney Runs a Marathon, my immediate response was, how fast does she run it? Because I was <laughs> dead set on, on, on running it in under four hours that I wanted to, to know that the character had the same uh, accomplishment. Um, but, and you know, I don't want to spoil too much of the movie, but um, he let me know that the character gets injured. And at the time, I was not yet injured. <gasps> I had actually just run a, a, the Brooklyn half marathon two weeks prior and felt like a, a sort of tweak in my ankle. And I was like, Oh, I got to see what that's all about. And then that slowly exacerbated into um, tendonitis. And then it was a tendon tear and I had a bone spur and I ended up needing surgery, oh um, which, so that kept me out of the marathon for two years. Um, oh my goodness. And, you, and I so, hope you, I hope you blamed him. Yeah, he like it, manifested oh, your injury. Yeah. Did you find oh. the voodoo doll in his closet or was that later on? Uh, I was like, why can't you write in her winning the lottery, Paul? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> She's up there with Meb like, what's up, dude? <laughs> uh, and um, so, but as far as like added pressure, I never felt that because I, I used to work in, uh, in entertainment. I was a theater producer uh, and I knew how, how easy it was for, for scripts to sort of never see the light of day, even if they're amazing. It, it takes so much, um, not just hard work and, and good quality, but also just luck. Like it's really hard to get something made. So for the most, uh, for the most part, Paul and I never took seriously that we would have to like answer to the world about this. <laughs> sort of like, this is really great. I was always a fan of him as an artist and uh, being in the theater industry, like I had always read drafts of everything that he was writing, um, given my thoughts on it. Um, you know, he, I think he considered me like a really great resource for, for helping him develop his own work. Mm-hmm. So then at a certain point, this just became the next thing that I was, you know, reading drafts of. And it just happened to be based on my life. Uh, and, <laughs> and so it really wasn't until Sundance that it, um, it became real, that, that I was like, oh my God, uh, I have to start, like, do I need to parse out what's true and what's not? If I say that something's not true, do people assume everything else in the movie is? Like, mm-hmm. it sort of, like, became this whole wave of issues that I hadn't really considered because I was always just like, eh, who knows? Movies don't happen all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. And so now it's 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 really crazy. It's really overwhelming. It's definitely vulnerable. I mean, you guys saw it. It's an extremely uh, vulnerable portrayal Mm -hmm. of a flawed human, Mm -hmm. uh, as we all are. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's surreal. I mean, I have actually have a lot of family coming in today and we're all going to see it. We bought out like seats to the theater tomorrow. So that'll be the sort of big moment of like how how is my life going to be um, in this new existence where uh, this small piece of my life is some, you know, very public in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to send everybody out for popcorn during the love scene. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like look over there. Looking. (laughs) Um, I mean, so, so basically, you know, the, the way you're explaining the movie is, 
that it's it's based on real life, but in real life, you're a real person who went through a real transformation. How did you personally take what you're going through and make it about something bigger than yourself? Um, we know that you became a certified personal trainer and a fitness nutrition specialist. So can you tell us more about how you really took off with this? Yeah, I um, I mean, it's sort of a lot of that worked itself out. Like I... I truly thought that I was just ready to lose some weight. Um, and as I started running, it just turned into so much more. I mean, I, 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 realizing that self-improvement and self-acceptance do not have to be mutually exclusive, um, mm -hmm. that you can work on accepting and loving yourself while also trying to go after bigger goals and, and want more for yourself. Um, that I think that was the biggest thing that I learned. And also, you know, I feel like even... I felt like I was in a unique position of like have, going from literally zero as far as fitness uh, experience and athleticism um, to really starting to understand my body. And I think so many people um, that haven't had a relationship with fitness just assume that it's not for them because there's so much that's foreign. Like I, I even remember when I first started going to the gym, I was like, uh, when you work out at the gym, you get sweaty and everyone that's going to the gym is doing that. So I'm just going to rewear my sweat clothes because I <laughs> live in New York city and like, I don't have a laundry mat in my house. And my roommate, after a few weeks, my roommate, Paul, who wrote the movie was like very politely asked if that's what I was doing and then recommended that I wash my clothes and wear new <laughs> every day. But like, things like that, like it, it just was so foreign to me. Um, and so I felt like I really had something to offer coming from a place of understanding and compassion. And, you know, I, I like really pushing people physically, but it doesn't all have to be the like, you know, military boot camp style, really intense um, attitude. There, there can be a sort of underlying layer of, of kindness and welcoming and compassion to it. Um, and I, I actually, for a while, I was doing full-time personal training and now I just teach one class a week at my local gym, just because it's something that I really like to keep as part of my life. Um, but actually, you know, with my own sort of self-acceptance and mental wellness journey, it turned out that being like self-identifying as a fitness professional wasn't really good for me because mm. it's still sort of drilled in my head that like, if I eat pizza, then I, then like the next morning I felt like, well, I don't deserve to be, you know, telling these people how to move their bodies because I'm a hypocrite. Mm. Um, and I'm, you know, I've gotten better about that and definitely like the movie coming out and me having to talk so publicly about all of this has helped me, um, you know, I feel like it's propelled me even further in my relationship with my body and my fitness and my self-worth. But it's, it turned out that like, it, it's better for me to keep that as a small part of my life and not to make it my profession, even though I, I it's something that I'm so passionate about and I really love. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so... Like the character in the movie, um, you it, you know it shows the the Brittany in the movie struggling with other people's perceptions of heavier women. So mm -hmm. could you talk a bit about how much of that would you say is drawn from your real life, and then kind of how you countered that? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's fully drawn from. I mean, I, I'm sure Paul had his own feelings about it, but I, I definitely have always felt like I'm perceived a certain way because of my body size. Because, you know, in TVs and movies and all of culture, 
thin people can be, you know, the evil character, the nice character, they can be anything, but the fat character is always the like funny sidekick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it sort of was ingrained in me that like I was giving off the perception that I was lazy, which, you know, was crazy. I was running a theater company. I was working like 18 hour days, um, you know, somewhat successfully at the time. Um, and it, I just felt like I was always having to counter that. And, um, you know, even since it's come out, I've become much more comfortable with knowing, you know, now my fitness level is, you know, it's great. (laughs) I have like, uh, I, I work out six times a week. I'm extremely active. I eat well because I like to, um, but I still probably compared to most other people that consider themselves fit don't look like the classic definition of fit. And so I've really had to like learn that that's okay. And, you know, getting dieting and fitness for the sake of a certain body type is definitely, you know, a valid thing that some people want to go after. But for me, it it sort of was like, I'm so much more than that. And if, if the difference between me looking a certain way and me just being healthy and looking fine, (laughs) um, is like all of my favorite things to do, like meet up with friends for a drink after work or like go to the beach and then, you know, sorry that they don't have just chicken breast while we're at the beach. Like things like that, it was it sort of turned into like, I'm willing to to let go of, of what is the s- absolute smallest version of my body and just live my life a little bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we found it interesting that Brittany Runs a Marathon is as much about body image, self-esteem, self-acceptance as it is about running. There was really that balance there. Um, it sounds like you've come to a place of peace with your own body, but what advice do you have for women who struggle with accepting themselves and their body and being able to say, I'm a runner? We find that that that's really hard for people to say, I'm a runner, even after, you know, they've run a half marathon or even a full marathon. Right. Totally. And I'm so glad it sounds like I'm at peace because I still (laughs) struggle with it so much. Um, But, you know, uh, I I would say as far as like advice to others, I mean, I still, I also struggle with calling myself a runner, especially now, like (laughs) with the injury, it's like, I feel weird, especially with all of these interviews, I constantly get asked, like, are you still running and how much do you run? And um, it, it feels strange to not be able to fully identify as a runner, even though like now there's a whole movie out there that, that identifies me as one. So I totally get it. And, and the feeling of being a hypocrite and a fraud, because like you have this image in your head of what that person is supposed to be if they identify as a runner or, or are confident in their body. Um, I think that we've come a long way, even just like a society, as far as seeing past all that. Now there are so many, especially like clips of the marathon, like people of all shapes and sizes run the marathon every, every year. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think even that is a testament to like your level of fitness is not necessarily indicated by what you look like and, and that what you look like isn't really a reliable indicator of much of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I, I don't really have any advice other than to say, like, I hear you, girl, and <laughs> I feel the same way. And uh, just to keep um, keep reevaluating that, uh, keep reevaluating and checking in with your thoughts about your body and what you're portraying. Because if you think about the other people in your life, 
usually while you're thinking about them, you're not really considering what the shape of their body is. You're considering mm. all of the qualities of them. And so people are probably doing the same when they think of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, younger daughter is starting high school next week and I'm trying to impress upon her mm-hmm. ideas like that and ideas yeah. that, that people are so much in their own head that they're really not, that there's no space for, you know, I don't know, casting dispersion on, on other people sometimes, particularly at, at a younger yeah. age, maybe. So, um, so that sort of leads a little bit to this next question, which in, in a recent New York Post article, you were quoted as saying, I'm always sort of changing my expectations of myself and trying to find that sweet spot between self-improvement and self-acceptance. And I'm learning that those two don't have to be mutually exclusive. So you sort of touched upon this earlier in the interview. Could you um, elaborate on that a bit more, please? Yeah, I feel like when people want to make a change, it, it, it portrays some sort of dissatisfaction. And obviously my, you know, the impetus to make a change was out of dissatisfaction, but it's so associated with you know, either you're going to try and change who you are, or you're going to try and accept who you are. And I feel like there's the idea of wanting more for yourself and wanting to set goals and believing that maybe you might be able to achieve them can be an act of self-love and not necessarily this like self-hatred. And Mm -hmm. the act of trying to go after those things, I think can, can help lead to um, self-acceptance because you learn more about yourself. You realize what you're capable of. Uh, for me, running, like, it so quickly shows progress. Like, every time you feel that your breathing's a little better, especially, you know, in those first few months, mm-hmm. you find that you're able to go a little farther or you did it in a little uh, less time. Um, and that sort of progress reinforces that you can be capable of something and you can be capable of more. It sort of is this immediate sort of positive feedback loop. So social media and the self we portray on platforms like Facebook and Instagram plays a role in the movie. As a person who remains passionate about the body positivity movement, can you talk about that dichotomy between us in real life versus us on social media? Yes, it's so hard. I'm like, (laughs) I constantly, even especially now, I feel like I have to like keep checking myself and avoid um, checking Instagram and Twitter every five minutes to see who's saying what about Britt Aaron's marathon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I bet that must be hard. It really is. And like, you know, I tried to make all my stuff private, but then I'm still trying, then I'm still like, Oh, why didn't Jillian tag me in that post? Like, it's so silly. Um, but I, I think it's done a, a real damage to us to, to constantly see only very curated lifestyles. And, and I, I think some of us are willing to, to bear a little bit more and, and be a little bit more vulnerable, but we're still constantly exposed to people that are only showing the best of themselves. And so it can start to be really alienating and lonely when you're feeling like you're not like that, which all of us feel like. <laughs> So I think it's creating this really sort of weird um, expectation of ourselves um, where all of us feel like we're failing at just the basic tenets of life because we're so used to seeing um, other people showing themselves. Yeah, and not just like influencers, people that are our friends. I mean, the moments that they're sharing are, is always going to be the photo that, that they're happy with because they think they look good in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the moments that were fun to them which are always going to be somewhat aspirational. So I I struggle with that a lot and I really try to avoid it. My husband and I try and 
stick to a um, once a week, uh, like Instagram check. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that's tough. And even that it's like, why am I doing this? Why, why do I need to be looking at this? Yeah. <laughs> um, so then did the, you have a roommate in the uh, movie and, a, and I guess she's your best friend at one point that um, we won't go too much into it. So not to spoil it, but I mean, did you really have someone in your life who, who treated you close to the way um, that woman in the movie, the character in the movie did? No, I think a lot of the, the characters that, that Paul developed were sort of personifications of my own negative self-talk. Oh, good. Okay. All right. um, I definitely did take time to, cause I mean, I had, I also, I had another roommate and she was like beautiful and skinny. And I think it was just sort of the like, Oh man, like, I, <laughs> like I'm trying so hard. And, and, and I live with this woman who like is literally a model. Um, <laughs> so, so that was sort of all that the similarities of that character was cause she was <sighs> very supportive. Um, but I definitely did take stock of my friendships and, and start to notice, you know, who was really rooting for me. Um, I think I had spent a lot of my time always, uh, I guess, literally playing the fat sidekick um, to, to some people. And um, it, it, it was really nice to start to see who actually wanted the best for me. And, you know, as I was constantly choosing, you know, what metric am I going to use to determine if I'm a, a good person, you know, because for a while it was just the weight on the scale and then it turned into just how far I can run. And, you know, at, that gets exhausting and it's a pretty um, quick path to a long road to meaninglessness. And I sort of learned that it's, um, that it's okay to rely on your friends to be that sort of anchor and to help you make decisions along that spectrum of self-acceptance and self-improvement and, and to help you decide when you need to be pushing yourself and when you can be kind to yourself um, and give yourself that extra compassion. And so I, I, I had always sort of discounted the people closest to me as a, as a, a guidance rubric because I was like, well, of course they, they, they think that. They, they love me anyway, so I can't actually trust like what they want from me because they're biased, which mm. is such nonsense because strangers have nothing, have no bearing on the outcome of my life mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, don't know me at all. So it, it, through like reevaluating my friendships and, and learning to invest more into the people that want the best for me and, and sort of letting them in a little bit more, that sort of really helps me guide through this whole process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that theme right there is captured so well in the movie, the, the letting people in, um, trusting what they're saying, trusting they want the best for you and they're going to help you get there. I thought that was um, very moving, particularly the um, character of the your brother-in-law who is kind of a, a surrogate stepfather. Yeah, yeah. So well, let, let's turn back to running. Um, so let's, let's pretend the movie is not getting released and it's just you as a dedicated runner and you're sidelined right now. And I think so many women in the Another Mother Runner audience can relate to that, um, whether they have a, a race on the horizon or not. So just kind of talk about how you, Brittany O'Neill, handle being unable to run, or it sounds like you're able to exercise still, so that's that's a benefit. So how, how physically as well as emotionally, I mean, kind of what workarounds do you do that you can't go running, and then kind of how do you get to an okay place in your head about that? Yeah, it's tough because running – you know, it, it's not like any other cardio, like running does something for me and I'm sure many other people mentally that no other exercise form can do. Mm-hmm. Being able to be, and, you know, after the first couple months, 
when I first started running on the treadmill, like running outside is my favorite thing to do. I, especially like in New York city, running along the water through Brooklyn, like it, there's just nothing like it. It's, it, it feeds me in a way that nothing else can. So not being able to do that in particular, of course, has a, a huge effect. Um, I, you know, I've sort of been experimenting with what I can and can't do and, you know, what will make my ankle worse, what will just sort of like plateau me and what, you know, how much do I really need to be off my ankle? I actually, one of my close friends is also a personal trainer and um, we've been sort of experimenting with things. And, you know, I'd forgotten that like so many of the exercises that I do that are upper body exercise, like even just standing on my ankle is still a little bit of impact on my ankle. And if I just do them sitting, that that it, it gives me a little more rest towards healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that I like wouldn't have considered without his advice, because to me, I'm like, oh, well, I'm like standing and doing flies. And that is uh, like with the cables. And so I'm not actually working my my legs and I'm not really using my ankle. And so it should be fine. But the idea that of actually giving yourself that extra rest of like actually take the weight off of your ankle for as much as you can, um, I think was sort of really eye opening for me. And so now I always alternate if I am doing something where I'm standing, which is, is still pretty often. I still make sure that at least half of my my workout is in some sort of position where I'm uh, the weight is completely off of that ankle. Um, and that that has helped a little bit. I also now like. I used to run because it's hard getting to the gym before work and I'm about a mile away from the gym. And so the way that I've always made it happen is that I run to and from the gym because mm-hmm. that's my warm up and my cool down essentially. Uh, and then I have my 30 minutes at the gym and it's, you know, incredibly tight on time to be able to get out the door. Um, and so now I can't run to and from the gym. So now I have less time to be at the gym actually doing things. So I'm doing a little bit more work at home every once in a while, just trying to remind myself that just because I'm not doing the amount that I used to be doing doesn't mean it's not enough. It's still better than nothing because it's really easy to just be like, well, never mind. I can't, my ankle hurts, so I can't do anything. Um, and to just not go at all. But, you know, even an extra 15 minutes of doing like band work at home will help me mentally will help me stay in shape so that when my ankle is better coming back is easier um and sometimes it helps me explore other muscles that i didn't really pay attention to because it's like not fun um (laughs) but because i have to be really careful with myself right now it's sort of you know time to experiment with some some new things get a really buff upper body so that when you're yeah. in all the, all the promotional photos that you, you yeah. know, you, you got the Michelle Obama guns. I was so. just going to say, everyone will be talking about my Michelle Obama arms. Right. <laughs> we are of one mind. Yes. <laughs> Come a diva, like here, photos from here up, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my good sign. So as we explored last week on our show, uh, we had a show about the power and support of best running friends. Did you really have two BRFs while training for the New York City Marathon? I didn't actually. Uh, none of my friends were runners. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I had one friend that's a runner, but for short distances and sprints. Um, and so he, and this is the same running friend. It's my friend, Dennis. Um, he helped me a lot in like getting better with my form. And we would go on some short runs together, like um, when we would hang out. But 
for the most part, it was running with someone new every time through this running group. Um, so it, and that was tough um, because it's hard, you know, it's a bunch of strangers when I show up. I, it was only once a week that for my long runs that I would um, run with them. So it was sort of like, you're not quite accountable um, <laughs> if you show up or don't, no one will really notice. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have that added benefit, which is something that I, I really could have used. Um, but at least it kept me going on runs that were more than a few hours because, you know, as much as I love the, the sort of mental clarity that comes with running and being able to listen to podcasts or music, once it's more than two hours, it really is, it can get boring. Um, so, so it was nice to have someone to, to talk to about, um, you know, a lot of people had run several marathons before. So I was constantly, you know, hungry for questions and, and advice. And especially if they had run the New York marathon in particular, then I would, uh, ask, you know, about certain points along the route. I was very meticulous in my like research and training and trying to figure out so that I would have no surprises, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Of course. <laughs> surprises when you're running a marathon for the first time um, or probably anytime <laughs> um, and and I still none of my friends really really run I mean Paul actually has has taken up um, running at like Barry's boot camp he'll do like you know just some treadmill sprints and stuff but mm -hmm. um, none of my other close friends are are, are distance distance junkies Oh my gosh. So it was like a, a once we cocktail party without the alcohol, it's always starting that conversation yep. over from exactly. scratch. <laughs> no name tag or if it is, you can't see it. Yeah. A little harder to get away from them too. You can't be like, Oh, I think I need to go freshen up my drink. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, so what sort of impact do you hope this movie has? I hope that it, uh, I really hope that people see themselves in this movie. And actually something that's been really exciting um, is that after screenings, if I'm lucky enough to be in the room with someone right after they've seen it, it, it's usually not like a lot of questions about the movie or me. Like people tend to get very vulnerable and confessional from the movie. Mm -hmm. um, they reveal a lot about themselves and whatever they're struggling with. A lot of times it's about body image or physical, um, um, physical capabilities, but a lot of times it's just something else that they're struggling with that they feel like, you know, the metaphor of like, I, I just need to open that door. I need to, I need to, you know, open the door in the hallway and get out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I hope that that continues. I, I love that it tends to inspire vulnerability. And I'm actually really excited about hearing more stories from people that have seen it and to be inspired by the people that are inspired by the movie. That was inspired by my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hall of mirrors of inspiration. I, I know. <laughs> that doesn't mean. <laughs> so, so I, so I know you're not, you've admitted you're not on Instagram very much, but if um, mother runners are and other women and, and men as well, seeing the movie, I mean, how would you like to um, have them kind of uh, go on social media and talk about it and kind of, you know, really churn up a conver a meaningful conversation. I mean, is there some hashtag people should be using? Is it? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, we are hashtag is run Brittany run. Um, and there's our, our account is, I think it's Brittany runs MOV mm -hmm. uh, on Instagram and I'm Brit O'Neill NYC, which it's private, but you can request and I'll allow you to follow mm -hmm. me, but it's really just mostly my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably only post once a month or two. Um, 
but yeah, I also, because I'm really interested in hearing people's stories, um, I, I did set up a website called realbritney.com, mm. um, which it's not meant to be anything uh, like really outward facing. It just is a way for people to get in touch with me in case they were really touched by the movie because uh, that's something I'm really looking forward to is being able to connect with people about um, about sort of shared emotional experiences. So um, if, you know, if someone sees the movie and really wants to tell their story, then please reach out. Great. Great. Well, uh, it's been lovely hearing um, about your running, but also about your how this has been a journey of self-exploration, self-acceptance. It's uh, really wonderful to hear you talk about, Brittany. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great talking to you guys. So I really love how despite the title of the movie, you know, which seems it's about running and a marathon, you know, Brittany really shows that it, this is about so much more than running. You know, it's about yeah. all the, the, the floodgates that running opens and, and the the thoughts and um, kind of internal introspection that it brings about. Well, and there's that saying that, you know, if you want to get fit or, you know, you can exercise, but if you want to change your life, you know, train for a marathon or run a marathon. And I, I think the movie really captures that theme of um, it's a lot and it's so much more in your head, you know, than mm -hmm. just your mm -hmm. body. And even when your body fails you sometimes, that's even more so in your head. Oh, yeah. Which I oh, love. Yeah, don't, don't we know it? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, we encourage everybody to head out and see Brittany Runs a Marathon. Um, so, and let's hear what Dimity and her pals are up to in the Train Like a Mother Club. Hey, everybody. It's Dimity here, and I'm coming to you with your Train Like a Mother Club corner, this time in South Dakota. I'm not here, but Heather and Christine ran it this past weekend. Um, they ran the Lean Horse 20 Mile and they were both in the marathon training program, the um, Running by Heart Rate Marathon training program. And um, I wanted to read a bit of uh, Christine's Facebook entry. It's quite long. It's probably longer than a 20 miler, so I'm not going to um, read it all, but there's some really good parts to it, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, she said, uh, reflections of my first marathon training cycle in the Lean Horse 20 Mile Race Report. I really enjoyed the personalized zones and heart rate caps of this style of heart rate training. I found the variety of weekly runs to be challenging and engaging. It was a breath of fresh air not to run easy effort nearly all the time, but I was still very appreciative of the one and two zone runs on this plan. I needed them and they felt like a treat, not a chore. Now to all the victories I had during this training cycle. I ran more consistently than I ever had before. I ran more miles than I ever had before. I had a half marathon PR on a training run during this cycle. I also PR'd my 10K without really racing, and I have a new post-second baby personal best in the 5K. Yep, you heard me right. I improved across all those distances. And to top it off, I did not experience any illness or injury during this training cycle. That speaks volumes to me about the value of this training. And I found this training plan to be really fun. So the Lean Horse is a 20-mile race um, in South Dakota. Like I said, it's in the Black Hills. Um, and she did a great race report. Um, I wanted to just zoom in for a minute on this. Um, so Heather and Christine were running together, and um, they made it to mile 15 at this point. They were having a good day. Um, we were both happy to see that aid station, and we knew from there on it was basically a descent to the finish. Because we had ran a smart and conservative race, we still had a kick to the finish. 
From mile 10 to the finish, we slowly passed other runners. The only people who passed us in the back half of the race were the leaders of the 30-mile race. I enjoyed miles 15 to 18 for the most part. Mile 19, I was ready to be done. I could tell some of my toes were blistering and my knees were sore. I wanted to walk, but Heather reminded me that we only had one mile left. And we were most certainly to come in way under the B goal of five hours. So we both dug deep and finished strong. We ended up finishing right between our A and B goals. We ran strong and smart. We had a lot of fun and took a lot of pictures. We conquered 1,200 feet of elevation gain in 10 miles and still managed to finish the last five miles faster than the previous 15. To top it all off, we finished in the top 50% of females in our age group. Talk about winning at life on race day. I really couldn't have asked for a better result. Congratulations, ladies. Really cool to hear about this. Um, it's the Running by Heart Rate Marathon program. We also have the Half Marathon and the 10K programs, all a variety of runs, and really um, accessible expert coaches ready to help you achieve your personal best. We'll see you next time. Bye. We appreciate you subscribing to and rating this podcast wherever you listen. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating, please, or tell someone about the show. We really appreciate it. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Many happy miles.